You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to Real People, Real Hope, a podcast from Wellspring Lutheran Services, a Michigan nonprofit that serves people of all ages. Your hosts are Dave Game and Sean DeFore. We've spent our careers working alongside children, families, and seniors who are in need of hope. The work is rarely easy, but it is rewarding. On this podcast, we'll share stories that inspire us and can inspire you, too, to let hope flow through you. Welcome to the first episode of Real People, Real Hope. I'm Jill Heiser, Vice President of Mission Advancement for Wellspring Lutheran Services, and I'm here today in conversation with two incredibly talented people, Dave Game and Sean DeFore. I've had the privilege of working with and for Dave for almost a decade. Like everyone who meets Dave, you're instantly connected to his passion for serving others. He loves people, and as Wellspring CEO, you see that play out each and every day. He leads by example and is a well-respected mentor and confidant to so many. His leadership style is simple. He wants people to see and celebrate their God-given potential while being and doing their best every single day. A little-known fact about Dave, he began his career as a pharmacist and still to this day has his pharmacy license. I'm also pleased to introduce you to Sean DeFore, Wellspring's Senior Vice President and Chief Operating Officer. If you're in the field of human services, you probably know about Sean's transformational work. Whether he's testifying in front of legislators, building new programs, or rolling up his sleeves to work alongside his teams, Sean's love and passion for those in need of hope is something we celebrate every day. We are so grateful to have him with us. Today, you're in for a real treat. Not only will you be hearing from Dave and Sean, but you'll be also hearing from their better halves, their wives, Elaine Game and Lori DeFore. These four people, individually and as couples, are truly devoted to the mission of Wellspring, which makes this introductory episode of Real People, Real Hope a beautiful way for you to get to know about the mission and the people leading the charge. So let's begin. Dave. Let's let's talk about your deep, lifelong faith that guides you as a leader. Elaine tells us that your faith comes from your strong family background, and that faith is something that is very important to both of you. She says you're a gentle leader who leads by example. Can you tell us a little bit about how this plays out in your leadership? She said all that, huh? <laughs> so, so faith has been a part of my life for my life, um, but it deepens, right? It, you know, it wasn't always what it is now and hopefully next year it won't be what it is today. Um, but it guides – it has guided me uh, all, all along the way and and I think um, Mother Teresa actually said, we're called to obedience, not success and God grants success in his time. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of been my sort of leadership mantra, if you will. Mm-hmm. I'm all about obedience to what God wants done and um, over the course of time – uh, we've seen that play out in the growth he's given us, the opportunities he's given us to serve people. And uh, and I'd like to think the impact that's had on folks too. Yeah, I can tell you that it's had a deep impact on me. You actually shared that with me early on in my leadership days, and it's something that I carry with me still to this day. So, Sean, Laurie says that you are also very dedicated to family, which we all know. Um, and you have three daughters, three beautiful daughters, I might add. Um, and creating kind of a safe and loving environment is something that is at the core of you as both a husband and a father. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about how that shapes your leadership? 
Sure. So uh, first of all, having three daughters is a huge challenge and a huge joy. Um, and for me, I think two things come through in um, how I try to support my family and how that's reflected in my work. One is I think about how uh, circumstances can change for anybody, any moment. Um, so as much as I've been very blessed and fortunate to have a lot of stability and a great wife and, you know, a pretty good life, um, that could change in an instant. And I want to know that if we fall on hard times or if something happens, um, that there's a system out there that will help, um, my kids get what they need, uh, to be able to get back on their feet. Um, because that can happen to anyone at any moment. Um, and I think the second is just knowing how important um, having stability and love and support is to kids. And it's easier to – what's the saying? It's easier to uh, raise strong children than to fix broken adults. Um, so I feel like what I'm endeavoring to give my kids, uh, every kid deserves. And I want to make sure that they get that. Yeah. And as kids, you both um, had pretty strong people in your life. Uh, when we talked to Lori and Elaine, both of them had talked about how your grandparents played such an influ influential um, part in your life. Um, so, Dave, I know that you went to your grandparents' home after school a lot uh, because both of your parents worked. And, Sean, um, I know that you had an opportunity to spend some time with your grandparents while you lived in Trinidad. Um, so can you talk about kind of not only from a family aspect what that meant, um, but how it's influenced kind of the work that you do um, in your leadership. Sure. So, you know, when I was four or five, my mom went back to work. I was the fourth of four kids. And frankly, I was a little grumpy about that because <laughs> I had to go to grandma and grandpa's. And um, that didn't seem fair to me because you know how four-year-olds think about fairness, right? So what I learned um, as my life played out is what a gift that was to me to be able to spend time with my with my grandparents a lot of time with my grandpa in particular who was a sort of self-made immigrant came over in 1927 from Germany had $20 in his pocket and uh subsequently uh was robbed in New York of his $20 and ended up at the YMCA to try to make sense of this new life and worked through the depression and frankly set me up for success. I didn't realize all that when I was four, but the time I had with him, the stories he told, my understanding of what he sacrificed for his family and for us and future generations now we see um, is uh, has made a major impact on how I think about commitment to family. And um, and he was just a quiet, humble, you know, just hardworking guy and um, uh, really in the course of time sort of became my, my hero and in, in in that sense, he left Germany in 1927, didn't go back till 1967, mm. first time he saw his family again. And um, I always told my kids how much I admired him, but I would kill them if they left me for 40 years and then came back, right? right? <laughs> so that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> so for me, um, there were a couple really <laughs> crucial uh, moments in my life where my parent, my grandparents were really important. Um, and they were, you know, my, my family, uh, immigrated here, uh, to the United States from Trinidad and Tobago. Um, just before I was born, uh, my dad was going to school in Colorado. Um, but my grandfather, uh, ended up immigrating with, um, some of his, 
uh, kids, my uncles and aunts, to Canada. Uh, he was a principal of a um, pretty well-known boys' school in Trinidad uh, before he retired. And um, one of the things that had an impact on on me through him was the importance of education, mm-hmm. um, not just as an avenue for success, but, but uh, an avenue for sort of understanding the world in a deeper way um, and becoming a more whole person. Um, and the other thing I saw from him was dedication and, and faith. Um, he was a very faith-filled man, and I watched him take care of my grandmother for about uh, 15 years before she passed of Alzheimer's um, and just watched her decline in the very loving and committed way he took care of her. Uh, and I'll never forget a moment where I was visiting him uh, in Canada when I was in college here and um, you know watched him spoon-feed my grandmother and just talk to her lovingly. Uh, probably a couple of weeks before she passed. And this is, this was his daily routine, um, just dedicated to the very end, um, to her. And there was, uh, I, I lived in Trinidad for about four years. My brother and I went back and, and lived there and went to school, uh, somewhere sort of between 10 and 13. And, uh, my grandmother on my mom's side still lived there and we spent a lot of time with her. And in Trinidad, extended family sort of lives together, uh, for years. The, Kids don't leave the nest at 18. Um, so it was just this sort of chaotic uh, but love-filled atmosphere every time I would spend time with her in her house. That was – was uh, yeah, it was pretty great. And I, I think I have that a little bit in my house with three crazy girls running around. <laughs> so, and, and just for the record, while Sean got to go to Trinidad to be with his grandparents – I was in Inkster, Michigan, okay? <laughs> you know, and I love Inkster. Nothing against Inkster, but it was not Trinidad. No well, beaches in Inkster? No. <laughs> no, only in your mind. Sean, I can't help but think about what that must have been like coming from the U.S., going over to Trinidad to a place that you didn't know mm-hmm. um, and having to adapt to that new life, that new atmosphere, new culture. Um, and I, I wonder how much that shapes your work of dealing with foster kids um, who are constantly having to adapt to different environments. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was quite a culture shock. And even though I was raised sort of West Indian because that's where my parents were from, um, there were things that were so radically different from what I was used to in the U.S. Like uh, when I moved back there, corporal punishment was still practiced in schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. So, you know, they had uh, a sort of a long, dried piece of sugar cane wrapped with electrical tape that would serve as kind of a whip. So when you got in trouble or didn't perform really well on a test, you would get a certain amount of uh, licks, we called them, or hits mm-hmm. with the whip. Uh, really quite shocking um, and scary for a, a nine-year-old kid coming from the U.S., um, but there was – it was also uh, – when I went there, sort of – it felt like an opportunity to explore and reinvent myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of what I carried from that is that in any moment, uh, you can decide to change the trajectory of your life. Mm-hmm. And with the right support, that can be possible. So for kids that are in foster care, I feel like every day with the right supports is an opportunity for them to change the trajectory of their lives mm-hmm. Um whether it's by choice or just because they get lucky enough to get a different circumstance. Yeah. No, that's really good. Um, I want to bring Lori and Elaine into the conversation. So, um, Sean and Lori, you teach your children that safety and stability um, are really essential. And I see you both um, show them not only with your words, but with your actions. I've gotten to witness you guys parent. Um, And so how do you feel like you best model that for your girls every day? 
Oh, wow. Um, I think by by being there, really, um, our children thankfully have a loving, stable two-parent home, but that is um, has not come without its own trials. I, um, myself, am a cancer survivor, so we had a year and a half of our life that was really traumatic and difficult on all, on all of us. Um, Sean became a caregiver as well as um, a caregiver within the workplace. Um, and our girls, you know, it was it was a tough time for them because I am home with them and I very much was not able to provide the role that I normally do. Um, and I think, you know, we were able to reach out to the support networks that we had, mm-hmm. right? And I mean, that came from all over that came from family, that came from friends, that came from coworkers um, to jump in and be part of our village. And I think, again, as adults, it was a, um, a reassurance and a modeling that Sean wants to give other people in his in his work day to day. Right. I mean, we are lucky enough to have that support, um, but some people aren't. And you really cannot get through tough times in crisis without um, support and love and people giving unconditionally. So, and I think he takes that back to work with him and just strengthens what he's devoted to. Yeah, Sean, that must have been a difficult time for you. Um, Obviously, continuing to work, caregiving for Lori, but you did that effortlessly. What, What did you learn about that during that kind of process of Lori's cancer treatment? I mean, when someone's sick, you both go through that, right? Um, And so, How does that continue to kind of play out in your work about building a solid family foundation to kind of fall back on during tough times? Yeah, it was uh, really stunning when we were going through that, how many people stepped up to help and provide support in different ways. And um, we couldn't have survived intact, I think, without our parents, our extended family, our friends, um, uh, the Moms Club in Farmington Hills, uh, where we live, it, it was just incredible. Um, so, uh, you know, to be able to mobilize um, folks uh, to be that village for others when they need it um, can be a big difference maker. It can, frankly, be the only reason people survive uh, what they're going through. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's part of it. And and also, you know, I, I, I gained a new appreciation for people who um, are going through sort of a chronic illness or um, in the caregiver role and how difficult and exhausting that can be. So like thinking about our work with seniors, um, I really have a heart for for families that are taking care of an elderly parent um, and and what that what that means and how difficult that is. Um, and sometimes I think the caregiver is forgotten in that, um, not because the the person who's sick or elderly shouldn't be the focus, but it's tough. Yeah. Uh, it's tough. Um, and, and there needs to be support there too. Yeah, so. definitely. That's really good. And it actually segues perfectly into what I wanted to ask Dave and Elaine, because when we talk about caregivers, you can't think of um, more selfless and brave caregivers than foster parents. Um, and one thing that people don't know about Dave and Elaine, well, a lot of people know, but more people are about to know, um, is that uh, they chose to become Foster parents, uh, they have three biological kids that all um, had left the nest, flew away from the nest. Um, and as soon as they had left, um, Dave and Elaine made the decision to become foster parents, uh, which 
really change the trajectory of your life. So can you talk a little bit about that and what that um, experience was like to make that decision together and um, how that really changed your life? Elaine, let's start with you. Okay. Um, Yeah, it it was a process, a lot of discussion, a lot of talk. But as you said, we had other kids and they had left. We had one that was still home um, in high school. But we had some open bedrooms and our hearts were open and we thought this was now the time for us to to kind of find out what foster care was all about and go through the training and and receive a foster child that we love a lot. Yeah, and you know, it's not a making that that's not a spontaneous decision, right? Right. right? Mm-hmm. So, we had talked about it for years off and on as a couple when the kids were little even and knew that we just needed to revisit it from time to time to see when the time would might be right for us. And and um, actually, we were taking a walk in the park one evening and um, looking ahead. Rachel at that time was a sophomore in high school, and we were sort of looking ahead to say, okay, we're we're going to be empty nesters soon, in a sense. So I said to Elaine, "What do you think's next for us?" And um, sort of stopped me in my tracks. She said, "I think it's time for us to foster." Mm-hmm. And so. Um, that was pretty clear communication. Even I got that, <laughs> and um, and but but it wasn't a new conversation. And we talked about that and learned about it. And um, there you have it. Yeah. So, Dave, at the time um, that we were looking to become Wellspring, um, you had a lot of experience in the senior service world. Um, and I remember when you were going around and talking to child and family staff, and you were saying, you know, I'm learning a lot about the child welfare system and what that means, but. I do have a lot of skin in the game, uh, mm-hmm. being a foster and adopt dad. So, um, how do you think that shaped your work? Uh, just going through that process and knowing what that's like at such an intimate level. Well, I've, you know, we've seen the process from the ground up, right? I mean, when we got into the conversation and began to move into the, the training and the readiness, there was no conversation about this, my senior work expanding into child welfare and other programs. It was just something we were doing as a as a family and as a couple. Um, and, and so um, that exposed us to all the good, the bad, and the ugly of how these systems work before now I've spent eight years sort of learning and growing and becoming uh, part of the professional work of, of child welfare, uh, but grounded in the notion that these are just kids mm-hmm. and all they need is a break. And um, they've had trauma in their lives. They've had challenges in their lives by adults that have let them down. And uh, and and what they need is someone to come alongside them and love them and, and give them the sort of stuff Lori and Sean just talked about that some of us take for granted in our families. Mm-hmm. Um, but many, many people um, – have never experienced. Right. And to see our family, frankly, you know, a comfortable middle-class family, to see that through the eyes of a child who's been through really 10 years of a very different life experience, not far from our community, mm-hmm. was was eye-opening. Yeah. I, and I remember the she, she came to us in, in early December, and so Christmas was right around the corner. We don't tend to have extravagant Christmases. We're not, we, we, you know, we, we have nice Christmases, and yet for the first time through her eyes, we felt like gluttons. Mm-hmm. We just felt like gluttons and, and realized how much more we have than we thought we had. Mm-hmm. And so there's just, I mean, life lesson after life lesson. She's sort of my muse, right? She's, she, she's still teaching us 
uh, a, a lot of things in life. Yeah. Elaine, so one of the things that we hear a lot is um, people who are considering becoming foster parents say, I could never do that. That's so difficult. Um, even when they have biological children, just thinking that it's parenting differently. Um, is there anything that you would want to say about that or encourage people to think about as they're considering being foster parents? Sure. We we had a lot of questions, too. And, um, you know, you go through the training process, you get a lot of those questions answered. Um, and even with raising your own biological children, each one you have to do something a little different on. So really, it's no different than when you get a foster child in. They might not respond the same way another one did, but you kind of just work through it, figure it out, and and just, you know, it's one day at a time. Yeah. But it's, you know, the, the program is set up to help train and answer a lot of questions, doubts, worries, concerns that you might have. But it's a wonderful thing to go through. It was such a blessing for us. And still is. It still is, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, raising kids are is risky business no matter where they come from, right? And sort of just for the record, this is sort of my little thing. All kids are biological. Right. Mm -hmm. Some come from us. Mm -hmm. Some come from some other place. And so I, I always I always sort of my radar goes up when I hear, well, you have biological children and then you have mm -hmm. other children, right? Now, they're all biological. They're all God's children. And, yeah. and in this case, you know, uh, to talk about a child that has integrated – seamlessly into a family, um, this would be that story. And, um, uh, it, you know, it's been um, – we've said many, many times we have received more than we've given. Mm -hmm. And when you talk to foster yeah. families, they tend to say the same thing. But mm -hmm. let's face it. It's risky business raising kids. And when you have kids coming into – through the system, if you will, um, they have they have different challenges. But, you know, it was funny because when we stepped out and started to tell people we were – thinking of doing this, we were taking the training, you know, sort of in the circles we run, everybody seemed to feel the need to tell us the biggest horror story they ever had. Yes. Oh, you know, yes. right. my second cousin twice removed did that and the kid, you know, tried to burn the cat and tried to, you know, break the house down. And But everything that would be shared with us, frankly, I could point to families we knew in our community right. who had children of their own who had challenges mm -hmm. similar. So it has nothing to do with really it's just it's 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 what it's about when you're raising kids. And when you're trained and you sort of know what to expect and can adjust it works out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I can tell you, you guys have done a beautiful job. Rebecca has yeah. taught us all a lot of life lessons, and she's now at college, right? Yes. Yeah. She better be. Yeah, she better be. <laughs> we should probably call and check, right? Yeah, she should be in class. <laughs> yeah. Well, Friday's her sleep-in day, so right. she's probably comatose right. at the moment. Well, if there's one thing I appreciate about these four people um, is their sense of humor. And we found that out when we had a little time to talk with Elaine and Laurie ahead of time about some of the – Maybe anecdotes of relationships. So we're going to give you a little inside look at uh, these two couples. So when we talk to Lori ahead of time, <laughs> one of the things that we love about Lori um, is her sense of humor. And she told us a little story about how um, both she and Sean would dress alike uh, and still kind of do. I mean, they we both do. have black on today. They both have we jeans. Do. I don't yeah. Jill's, Jill's birthday might have been recently, and we went to dinner. I don't know if you realized we showed up in olive green together again. <laughs> we did. <laughs> Which is actually the color we were wearing when we met 20-some years ago. Mm -hmm. um, 
but yes, we do have that. Uh, we don't we don't plan it out. We don't consult each other. But every time we step out of our bedroom and look at each other, we're like, oh, great. We're dressed alike again. <laughs> but I hear that you might be a little bit more creative well, when it I, comes yes, to a yes, few yes, things. Uh-huh. Okay. I might be a little more creative in most <laughs> things in life. But yes, um, I am an artist. So I usually have way cooler socks than Sean. I try. Absolutely I try. <laughs> I gave him actually this year for um, his birthday. He wanted some new shoes, and I gave him a box of socks to go with it, too. All crazy, cool mm-hmm. patterns, and they still sit in the drawer. They're, yeah, Sean, what color socks I'm do you have on today, just so that our listeners can see how boring it is? Probably. Gray. Just solid yeah, gray. Okay. Just yeah. wanted to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> but if any of you have seen Lori and Sean, they both look like they jumped off the, the cover of GQ. So well, you that might be going a little far. <laughs> but but it, it's funny how when, when we first started realizing we were dressing alike all the time, we would try to change so we didn't look so dorky, like a couple that's wearing matching clothes. And now we just sort of accept We're it. Like, right. Uh, okay. It is oh, what look, it is. We match today. Right. Yeah. Well, do you lay out your your clothes ahead of time, or no, is this never, just okay? Never. All right. Mm-mm. Well, no. maybe we should start doing that just to you know check the night before to make sure you guys it's you know. Good idea. <laughs> right. <laughs> and one of my favorite stories about Dave and Elaine um, is how they met and. Uh, I have to say that I've heard both Dave describe the story and I've heard Elaine describe the story. Um, and they can, the story can sometimes be very different or there can be, uh, added components to it depending on who you ask. Really? <laughs> so Dave will tell you, Dave will tell you that, uh, he and Elaine met at a very young age, um, and that he fell in love in what kindergarten? Oh, that's so cute. I would say that's true, but it was a, at that age, it was a forbidden love, let's say. <laughs> so and, uh, I couldn't act on it at age four. Yeah, please, please don't. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, and yeah, in all seriousness, we grew up five houses down from each other in Dearborn Heights and, and, uh, uh met probably, I'm guessing we were three when we met. Yeah. And, um, so we never had that awkward moment where the folks had to meet because they knew each other as neighbors and, and our really first connection was kindergarten. And uh, we didn't date in kindergarten, <laughs> but we did date in high school and haven't stopped yet. That's right. Yes. So. Actually, the first time was when we were four and it was my birthday party. My mom has video of us playing in the backyard, duck, duck, goose. And oh, no. <laughs> you okay, were there. We're going to need to see that. <laughs> that so yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. So, Elaine, was it love at first sight for you at four years old, too? Oh, definitely. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't mind him chasing you after no. the goose part no, happened? No, no, <laughs> I love it. Um, it's been fun to watch uh, you guys serve together um, just because of the way you complement each other. And um, you really do serve together, which is really special. And that's one thing about the four of you that I have come to to love and appreciate is that um, you know, Dave and Sean might be the people that work at Wellspring, um, and, but it takes an entire family to serve a mission. Um, and I have watched Lori and Elaine selflessly and effortlessly serve alongside Sean and Dave for a lot of years um, and have great impact um, on our work. So um, because you serve together, why is this mission so important to the two of you? Lori, let's start with you. Oh, wow. Um, you know, I mean, Sean and I kind of grew up together in this uh, career of his. So we met when we were still in college. The time we met, Sean thought he might go to medical school and never felt like 
for me, a fit for him, you know, but it's his journey. So, okay, you think you're going to go to medical school. And shortly after we met, that kind of started to change and evolve and landed in this, you know, I think I'm going to finish our undergrad degree and go on and, and get my master's in social work. And it felt right. And um, Sean is an incredibly dedicated, passionate person. And it just it just was a calling for him. And so I have feel, you know, I just feel like I have watched him grow into the career and have never been prouder of the work that he does. Um, and I think it's a wonderful example to our children. I mean, talk about not having to teach a lesson, but to model a lesson in life um, and their values that I want our children to grow up with and seeing and, and serving other people. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've, it's been a, it's been a joy to grow up together in this line of work and share it with our family. It's awesome. And I couldn't do it without you. And your no, you couldn't. Our family would never eat. No. <laughs> <laughs> at least not before nine o'clock at night. Right. right? No, exactly. No. <laughs> it really is a collaboration. Collaboration, is. isn't right? it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Elaine, what about you? Yeah, you know, when you think about family and like his grandparents, his his backstory on that, um, and Rebecca, our foster child, you know, you just, you see, you want to make a difference. And this ministry does that. It makes a difference in people's lives day by day, every day. And it's an, an important job. And um, just the love he has for all different age groups and the impact, you know, that he wants to make. He wants to make a change in people's lives for the better. And to stand beside him and be able to do that and work together on that is a wonderful blessing for me. Yeah. And I can see how it's changing other people's lives. So just thankful for this job he has and the ministry he has and the people he has surrounding him to work side by side with him on this. That's amazing. Well, this has been a lot of fun to get to know uh, the four of you as couples, but both uh, in, or also individually, too. And um, I was joking when we started today that uh, Elaine and Lori are the first wives of Wellspring. Um, <laughs> and I think that that's something that needs to stick. <laughs> Dave, Dave, and Sean, you better, Dave and Sean, yeah. you better live up to that, yeah. you know. But one thing that I know for certain, because you do serve together, that this isn't the end of hearing from the four of you. Um, and one of the greatest things is that we get to see you at events and out in the public and just supporting this mission together. So um, thank you all for being with us today and just sharing your hearts and your passion for this work. Um, I know that I have been touched by your leadership um, and by the support of Elaine and Lori and their hearts and passion. Um, and I hope you all have too. So uh, thank you so much for sharing your vision and yourselves here today. And I am happy to say that this was our first episode of Real People, Real Hope. Um, and I cannot wait for the next episode. And I hope you can either. Thanks for listening to Real People, Real Hope, the Wellspring Lutheran Services podcast. If you've been inspired by the stories you heard today, share this podcast with someone you know, someone who could use real hope in their own life.